This is Near Dark Radio. 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 Welcome back to the show, folks. This is your host, John Gower, as you probably guessed. I am joined today by Mr. Adam Hefner. Adam is a metallurgist, a welder, a forger of steel, and a capitalist. He is the owner of Maker Table here in Springfield, Tennessee, and we're very happy to have you on the show. Welcome to Near Dark Radio. Good to be here. Thanks for uh, dressing that up so much. I feel more illustrious than ever at this moment, I think. Well, you look like shit, so. (laughs) Excellent. Did the mullet give me away? (laughs) He's sporting a fine mullet, a fine mullet and a mustache. Uh, I mean, you're full 70s porn star if you want to be at any point. I'm totally going for the 70s. Like the Burt Reynolds would be the ultimate compliment you could give me right now. All right. Well, then I won't. uh, I was hoping that you could just dish that up for me, but, you know, maybe Maybe later. later. Maybe later. Not on record. Not on record. No, no. Yeah, it might cross the line. But this mullet is really just trying to send the vibe home, and uh, I didn't realize how majestic I would feel with it. It's impressive. Until it it touched the back of my ears. It's lion-like. Ooh, that's aggressive. Yeah. yeah. Are you a Leo? No, I'm okay. a Gemini. And I feel like I should be backlit right now for the sake of my mullet. Well. <laughs> that would give me like an ethereal kind of floaty elfiness. We're working with the production quality that we work with. So, okay, okay. You know. I mean, we got the if, GoPros. If any of you listeners would like to hop on the Patreon, that is patreon.com slash neardarkradio. Maybe we can get Adam a backlight for his mullet Ooh. for next time. Oh, sponsorship. Yeah. Sponsor the backlight. Sponsor the backlight. Yeah, I, I do need to note these are genuine GoPros here, though. These are not Chinese knockoffs. No, 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 no. Yeah, you're not skimping, They're still my made in China, though, I'm sure. Yeah, and we aren't sharing a microphone. No, we're not. I mean, you went all the way here. Yeah. I am wondering what this keyboard's for, though. We'll get to that. Okay, because I kind of want to like... What we're gonna it. What we're going to talk about today, folks, is a lot of different... Things economic. We're going to talk about the supply chains. We're going to talk about free markets, consumerism. Please. But first, we do want to touch on the tragedy that occurred on the set of Alec Baldwin's new film out in New Mexico. Uh, Let us touch on Alec Baldwin. Let us touch on him. During a shoot last week. Ooh, too soon, buddy. Helena Hutchins, a lady cinematographer on the set of Alec Baldwin's new film, Rust, was fatally injured when a prop gun went off and shot her in the chest, which was being held by none other than Alec Baldwin. Is it injured if it's fatal? Or is it just fatally, fatally wounded? Fatally wounded. There we go. Yeah. Fatally Don't, fat- don't. Let's not get into the syntax. Here. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. They I'm just trying to here. clarify. They didn't come to listen to that. Good call. Good call. Um, so the, who's responsible? Right. Who's at fault? So Alec Baldwin is not. What? If he was the, if, if, if Alec Baldwin had just been the actor, Alec Baldwin, not responsible. He's not responsible for knowing whether he has a loaded gun. However, he's a producer on the film as well, which means that he's in a position of authority when it comes to the production as a whole. As like who to hire as the firearm specialist. Right. Could potentially be a call of his. Right. So the firearm specialist, the armorer, 
That yes. was a word that I learned. Armor in chief. Armorer in chief. chief armorer. Chief armorer. Yeah, uh, um, connoting some sort of hierarchy of armorers. Right. I guess there's multiple ones. There must be. A, is there a guild? Is there a class system? Oh, I'm sure. Are you born into this? It's Hollywood status there's a, there's because a, I think she's the daughter of another armorer, right. whose illustrious career has had zero of these incidents, I believe. Well, her career is over. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, but this is <laughs> only her. She may be facing jail time. It's only her second time out at this job. Right, right, right. You know. Yes, this was her second film. So what these armorers are supposed to do, there's, there's, for people who've never been on a film set, there is a whole litany of roles of regulators. I mean, have you seen the credits on any movie, folks? Just right. think about how long that is. For right. a 30-minute cartoon. Right. There's five minutes of credits. Right. There's a lot of people involved. In and if you're one of those people that gets up and leaves b- before the credits start rolling, just take a seat. Take a seat the next time you go to a movie and watch. John wants you to do that because his name is in some credits, but it's just save your time. Just trust me. There's a lot of minutes of credits, a right. disproportionate amount, more than you would imagine. Right. And they represent the massive amount of human bodies on a film set or involved in the production of a film. And these... People were supposed to make sure that, one, the gun was not loaded, two, that there were no live, there was no live ammunition on the set at all. Like, that's illegal. Uh, They are supposed to be the people, like the, the chief armorer, I believe, is supposed to be the person that hands the gun to the actor. But in this case, the assistant director went out and got it off the cart and brought it to him. Yep. Big faux pas. And all of this points to the fact that apparently in the weeks leading up to this incident, there were a lot of complaints on set from the crew, who are union members, that safety protocols weren't being followed. They weren't being housed uh, appropriately for where they were shooting. Yeah, the guns were being used for recreational shooting on the weekends right. with live rounds. Right. Yeah. Um, there was there was a number of... of uh, failures in their procedure and protocol here. But like, I kind of think this is almost just like any other industrial accident though. It's, it's an, in what sense it's an occupational hazard. Like, um, I worked as an iron worker where, um, if a uh, beam gets spun the wrong way, uh, can pull you off the building and you can fall to your death. Or um, a lot of carpenters use what's called powder-actuated tools, which is literally a gun that has a nail on the end of it instead of a bullet. And it's super useful. Powder-actuated. Powder-actuated. It's not a bullet, but it's actuated by the exact same powder that actuates a bullet. Right, right. And it shoots a projectile. So, like, there are these accidents that happen on job sites. um, I don't know if it's daily in the United States, but definitely weekly someone dies in an industrial accident in a construction site. And Absolutely. And, I mean, on film sets. Yeah. Not and, just from guns. No, like, but, I mean, jumping off a train is the most dangerous stunt activity that anyone does. And how many people have jumped, have died jumping off trains? Right. Do they still jump off trains for movies? Absolutely. Bingo. Absolutely. You know, it's a hazard of the job. But I think even more responsibility than just the producer level lies with Alec Baldwin because I think there should be some responsibility. Like someone brought up the point. I've been reading about this, uh-huh. you know, trying to prepare because you said you wanted to touch on this. What if Alec Baldwin was going to shoot a scene where he pointed the gun to his own head and pulled the trigger? Would uh-huh. he have personally double-checked that firearm? Right. 
I, I imagine he would. I bet he would have. I know I would. So if you're dealing with a life and death situation. But do you think Alec Baldwin, who is notoriously uh, anti-gun, do you think he would know the difference between a live round and a blank? Why would you use a gun if you didn't know? Like, I think because he's an actor. Actors are dumb people. But actors will train for like a combat scene for months learning combat. Actors will practice an accent for months on end to nail that accent. Why wouldn't an actor also plan the choreography of a deadly weapon? Well, sure, they would would plan the choreography, but I don't think they would learn what the difference between, you know, a blank or a dummy and a live round looks like. I don't know. But it's. I put the I say he has a share in the responsibility simply because he is the producer, and apparently there were all sorts of there were there were two firearm um, discharges on set that were not authorized. Yeah, I heard there was previous like misfires, I guess, or what misfires do you call them? before. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think they're miss like misfires makes it sound like the gun just went off. Right. I don't think these are. Uh, I mean, I I'm a gun owner. Guns don't magically go no, off. No, they do not. There That's is, one thing in the reporting. Like the New York Times was said, like Alex was well, Alec was pointing the gun at the camera when it went off. And yeah. It's like, well, no, no. didn't jump out of his hand. No. And, Go off. There's one way that a gun goes off. Yeah. You pull the 99.99999% of the time. There's one model of shotgun that is known if it tips over and gets jarred can potentially. Okay. okay. But that one's been recalled. There's lawsuits. It's a big deal. I hope it's that, the one I have downstairs. That a firearm was produced that could go off because of a bump or a uh, vibration or some right. accident situation. And this the, is not the most common malfunction with a gun is that it jams and refuses to fire. <laughs> and like <laughs> most uh, firearm injuries are occur with one's own firearm. Right. Right. Statistically speaking, so, my grandfather's like Exhibit A. He shot himself in his own foot. I. Yeah. I became a uh, became part of the proverb there. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. You want to be a statistic? Yeah. Uh. Well, so the investigation is ongoing. We don't really know any of the details besides what we've sort of mentioned. It's by all this conjecture. Point. But I think it's curious that this happened hours after all of the union members on set walked off set because they were unhappy with the working conditions on set. They were replaced with non-union members, and then boop, accident, accident, yeah, fatal. Accident. Someone's dead. Yeah. Yeah, and I think. And someone's accidentally killed someone. I mean, that has to that has to be uh, horrible too. Oh gosh. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any doubt that Alec Baldwin went to work that day with zero intentions of killing someone. I don't think uh, motive wise. There's yeah, any, yeah, no, I don't no, think no, there's no, no, anything no. there. So I think he's just like almost caught in the crossfire. I feel bad for. I Alec feel bad Baldwin. for him. Yeah. Like that's sad. Like it would change my life entirely. Oh you yeah, know, but I mean, do you think do you think he do you think he continues making films? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said that quick. Well, that's his trade. Like, I mean, I'm a big believer in like we shouldn't reduce someone to the worst decision they ever made in their entire life. I think right. that's a big problem with criminal justice. But he's system. a bleeding again. He's a bleeding heart liberal. It could it, this could really be affecting him. He could get canceled. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, like, I don't think he's going he's gonna to disavow the only trade that he knows. You know, like, I don't think he's going to go and be a truck driver now. And Alec Baldwin's not like an A. He's not like a Will Smith. 
he doesn't have kajillions of dollars to stop working. I feel like he's I think he does. I don't know. I feel like he's I feel like he's more of like a working class actor. Uh, like he like presents for like the 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 symphonies at Carnegie Hall. He's like a But Carnegie Hall's not a big payer. Like Carnegie Hall is like illustrious, is, but that's not like it's millions. Got, it's got big it's got billions of dollars of worth of patronage behind but it. But it's not announcing at the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? It's not a big right. payday. It's like I feel like he's like working for his money. Like um what is it, Jack Nicholson? Uh-huh. No, no, no. Uh no, who's the guy that did the Ghost Rider? I'm terrible with names. Ghost Rider. Um National Treasure. Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage like ran out of money and went back to work and made all these crappy movies. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I feel like he's in the Nicholas Cage stage. Well, I think of, this is something that, his career where yeah. he's just like, I gotta do work. I gotta hammer down and get some stuff done, you know, to make money. I don't think he's just doing it for the joy of doing it. Well, he was producing a, a film. Yeah, but I don't think it was a passion project. You don't do project. that if that's a passion if it's not partly a passion project. But like, why have this downward pressure on spending if it's purely a passion project and he has a bunch of money? Like, well, why? Because why are they because, worried about hiring the cheap armorer and right, getting right. rid of the union people? Like, right, I think that right, speaks right. to the fact that he's not this like self-funded, you know, multi-multi. No, no, no. no act- actors are not. People had this impression that like famous musicians and famous actors and you know famous people generally are like extraordinarily wealthy beyond anyone's conception and they can do whatever they do want. Do whatever they want. And it's like, For no, their own motives. Like, unless you're, I mean, I was going to say Dave Chappelle, but even Dave Chappelle, like, he's he's got fuck you money, but he doesn't have, I'm going to produce my own, you know, $100 million movie. Well, and he money. would have to change his lifestyle. I don't think. Yeah, you'd have to change your like, lifestyle. He would have to make sacrifices and stop being the Porsche driving, mansion living, you know, that's right. the other thing is, like, they want to maintain this, their level of normal, which, you know, is absolutely yeah. different than ours. But yeah. you yeah. can get accustomed to anything. Yeah. You know, so that's where I'm at is I don't, I don't see Alec Baldwin just closing it up on, on the moral principle alone. Right. I think it would have to be like a, a Louis C.K. or Bill Cosby situation where he just can't work anymore because no one will even hire him. I mean, I could see that happening, although I, he's got the right politics, so... Yeah, his reaction was good. He, he was caught sobbing in the parking lot of the police station for hours. Yeah. Like, he stayed in the parking lot for hours, out of his car. Mm. You know, like, he's an actor. He he's knows the signals he's sending. So it's not like he went... And he also changed his clothes before he went to the police station. So he stopped, went back to his trailer, changed his clothes, probably called his lawyer, you know, and then went to the police station. Absolutely. Because he also had, like, blood on his shirt, yeah. you know, on set. So he's like, I didn't want to be wearing my – basically, he didn't want to look like a murderer yeah. in the yeah, police yeah, yeah. station is how I read that. When the paparazzi show up. Exactly. So yeah. now he's, like, this distraught normal guy yeah. who looks like your dad that's crying <laughs> in the parking lot. You know what I mean? Like, the yeah. optics are right for him to keep working. Yeah. You know, and like his whole dip out, I think I heard him say, I heard somebody quote him like the second it went off, he said, who handed me that gun? You know, immediately he went to blame. Zero personal responsibility. And for somebody that wants to talk uh, negatively about firearms and then not take personal responsibility for a firearm. Right. Like what? It takes, I think it takes a lot of the, the, the believability out of your whole stance. Like, if you're so against firearms, wouldn't you, like, make a movie without firearms? Right, right. You know, you're obviously not that against them. You see the storytelling device, yeah. the, the mechanism, 
the tool well, that it was. This is my problem with artists who want to really like take a principled moral stance on something and try to make that part of their persona. It's like when you're making art, very little of it is morally um, motivated. It's yeah. art. It's a it's 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 its own thing. I don't know, but there is moral art too, you know, like you get into the Chronicles of Narnia and you okay, know there, there's that's, there's like morally driven art. There's that that C. S. Lewis is an exceptional genius. And and like T. S. uh what's his name? Uh Tolkien is an exceptional genius. They happen to be friends. But when you look at, for example, the 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 Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro production company that's producing films about a girl whose whose dad is a, a trained assassin, so she knows how to shoot guns, and she saves her school from being shot up by running around with a gun. It's like, guys, no one wants this. Uh, but that's no also one wants a, no one wants a ham-fisted moral message. On the other side, Candyman, the new Candyman film, we reviewed that earlier on the podcast. Like, it's a ham-fisted racial justice film. And it takes all the fucking fun and horror out of it. It's not scary. It's not you're, the whole time you're thinking, oh, what, what racial justice message am I going to get next? Yeah, I just don't want to get sucked into saying that art isn't moral. Because I, uh, I think art is like a tool to share and exchange morals and values, you know? So, but like, a lot I, more than that. It's also a, a tool to... Express beauty, express love, express joy, express suffering, express all different aspects of the human condition. Yeah. When you try to create something that's just moral, just like a moral lesson, you end up getting into, you know, the the reductions of the Bible to for children. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I guess like, it depends on, on your definition of morals. Like, if we're talking about, like, Judeo-Christian morals, like... Yeah, but I think you know morals are any know, kind of uh, any kind of moral ideas. structure is a isn't a sort of ideology. I don't like when actors get involved in like causes that they're not experts on. That's you know I have a, I have a problem sure. with anybody who wants to have a strong opinion based on very small amounts of information. And if you're going to use your clout and your fame to to like. Uh, gain consensus or support for a cause like I think that can be really good in certain instances but I think you should be really thoughtful about that power sure, sure. that you wield and and the influence you have over the media so that's what I'm saying is if he's going to be this big firearms guy that doesn't know the know difference how a gun between, works when yeah, it's in his fucking bingo hand. buddy because the first lesson I got was you never point a gun at something you're not willing to shoot yeah I mean, period. That's yeah. that's rule number one. And, my, and even in Hollywood, even in films, when you're pointing a gun at somebody to shoot them, you're cheating. Yeah. You're cheating so that you're not pointing the gun at them. Exactly. You could have pointed the gun directly at the lens. And right. those big cameras, you're not standing behind them. You're standing next to them. Right. So why did he have to point that gun at that person? And usually when they're doing these these scenes, there is a bulletproof glass in front of the cameraman. Yeah. Okay. Like this, this is one of the, the things that, that was brought up about the reasons why somebody walked off earlier because earlier on the shoot, they did this, this big scene in, you know, this big shootout with crossfire and, uh, the inexperienced actor said, 
all the production were behind this bulletproof glass. Yeah. And I'm standing out there and wondering, he's like, I'm inexperienced and don't think I can have the, the ability to speak up because I might get fired right. or ostracized or right. blacklisted and never work again for being the picky slut of the actors. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, one of the one of the union members that came out to the press to say all, all this stuff has been going on, we've been complaining about all this stuff, they came out anonymously because they didn't want to be blacklisted. Bingo. For literally watching a person, not maybe not watching them, but being on set with somebody that got shot and killed, they're still scared yeah. to come out and say, hey, this was wrong. Yeah. No whistleblowers in Hollywood, but No, no, no. No, definitely not. And no, I no, think no. like- the the pressure, you know, I shot something with the History Channel earlier, and um, the they flew out a producer shooter, and basically the guy had worked on uh, much larger productions for for television, and uh, he was like basically telling me the whole week while we're shooting, he's like, I don't know why I don't have a grip, like I don't know right. why I don't have a sound man. He's like, he's like, this is just this new um, like accelerated by the pandemic. Basically, is this all these changes were happening, and there's all these parts of the the Hollywood industrial complex that are consolidating and becoming, you know, multiple jobs for one person that used to be separate people doing different jobs. Right. And it's because of I think like the commoditization of media production. Now everybody has a 1080p camera on their phone with decent lighting, good sound, yeah. and the editing abilities, and even special effects abilities are, are getting lower and lower, you know? Right. Uh, and it's, barrier to entry. It's, I mean, on the one hand, it's amazing that somebody like myself can produce cinematic quality images without a $24,000 camera. Yeah. And yeah, a million dollar budget. But it also sucks because a person like myself doesn't just have to write and perform and record yeah. his own music. He has to mix, master, do the video. Every, you're expected to do oh, everything. you're not even getting into the marketing and distribution Marketing of and distribution is the one thing you I know, just can't fucking do. Which is an do. entire job right. in and of itself. Which is why we have like 100 listeners on each of these fucking episodes instead of 5,000 because I... I can't be bothered to do the marketing. Yeah, it's it's a pain, but like that is the new reality. You know, yeah. this this industry is becoming cheaper. It's becoming more commoditized. Like Hollywood and Bollywood used to have this uh, stranglehold on the industry where yeah. it was so expensive to get in. You had all these fixed costs of a, a sound stage. Yeah. You know, yeah. and all this like infrastructure, all these like warehouses of props mm -hmm. that were just left over from other films that now you could jump in and remix and repaint and put some new fabric on that thing and, and work it into another movie. You got this economy of scale. And now that scale is no longer an advantage. Right. And so they're competing with people like me and you who make our own content right. that's good enough. And really like what it's, it's reducing it all to is the story. It yeah. comes down to whether you have a good story or not because yeah. there's low-budget films that make tons of money that are commercially very successful. Right. So money is not the operative condition for a successful production. No. It's creativity. It's, it's creati innovation. Well, it's, it's the story. It's the performances. It's the music. It's the lighting. It's all the things that make a film beautiful and worth watching. It's not the 
oh, well, did were you able to do all that stuff because you had the money? No, you don't have to have the money anymore. But even all, all these things are so much cheaper. All that stuff can be superseded by good storytelling. You know, like Blair Witch Project is a great example. Sure, yeah, it's like yeah. it's terrible production, terrible lighting, terrible sound, terrible video. I mean, it's black and white VHS looking crap. But the story, the story was suited to that. Yeah. Low production value. Exactly. Yeah. But it was a compelling story. Yeah. Like I have a comedian that he draws up um, little cartoons. Yeah. So like go with his his stand up. And the cartoons are not I'm not gonna say garbage. Are you but, talking about my last guest, Jim Bob? <laughs> no, sorry. Uh this is was it Theo Vaughn? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, his his cartoons are getting better now, but back in, uh, you know, look back a year or so ago, his cartoons were really elementary. And the fact that he had such a good like shtick to go with it made it where he was just getting his his stand up into the visual realm into the YouTube you know he was just making it digestible for the right audience right, you know right, on right. these different platforms he didn't change his message his story his story of his childhood experience it's funny didn't change yeah. he just added some low budget production on top and uh, appealed to a, a, a wider audience yeah you know, so that's what I'm saying is even with bad lighting and just decent sound and if you have a great compelling story, people will still tune in. Sure. You know, they're still going to engage. Sure. And that's really what it's about. And, you know, they're not investing in the story necessarily. They're still going hard on all this production value, trying to overcome a lack of story. And I think that's why people are getting away from regular television. Oh, absolutely. The story, the story is, is the shit. same. It's the same recycled story we've seen over and over and over and over and over again. There's no twist. There's no uh, excitement. There's no novelty left in 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 cable television. Well, and I feel like I feel like most of this stuff, like especially television, uh, but you know, social media, a lot of these different um, mediums that we're either imbibing or participating in, they've all become very effeminate. Like, if you watch television, the vast majority of TV shows are designed to make you feel happy and comfortable and secure and, you know, like, there's there's a – you have empathy for these characters and you're seeing them going through struggles and then they come out on top. Maybe not where they wanted to be, but still they learn something and it's like there's no, like – Twin Peaks anymore. There's a there's vene- no there's like, a veneer over the top of all of it. Yeah, and yeah, they're trying to be very polished in every every sense. Like, um, like Dirty Jobs is even getting less dirty. Really, <laughs> Mike Rowe? I mean, maybe not. Like his content is still dirty, but he's he's increasing the production value so much that I feel like he's not necessarily as grimy as he once was. Like he's just getting more polished up. Well, maybe he needs to move on to something else. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of been that show has been going on for like fifteen years, right? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 time for something new, Mike. I think he's doing good things, though. I would love to see him in a porno. Yeah, I think he's a gorgeous man. He's a good-looking dude. I wonder if he's packing heat or not. Oh, surely. You think? You think he's like? She's uh, got big dick energy. Mike Rowe, the leg. <laughs> he's like Mike Rowe, the boat with his cock. Yeah, yeah. Mike Rowe, the tripod. There we go. My, <laughs> or maybe he's micro. Oh, oh, no. oh dear. He could be micro. What if that was, what, that, what if that's not his real name? That was just his nickname in middle school. Micro. Because yeah. He's got a small dick. That'd and be then the he time changed. you pick it up. Yeah. Maybe he's a grower, not a shower. That's fine. You know, that's fine. Yeah. 
Um, speaking well, of growing. So if anybody has a picture of Micro's dick, please send it in. <laughs> please. Uh, I don't know where. Uh, <laughs> the Okay, speaking of growing, we were, we we're going to talk about capitalism. Ooh, yeah. Capitalismo and the embedded growth principle. Well, I mean, we could just get into the uh, downward price pressure that capitalism creates and is uh, pushing down on the film industry right now because... Well, let's get out of the film industry. I'm okay. tired of talking about the film industry. Yes, Alec Baldwin cannot is not going to dictate the terms of this conversation. Mm. Um, mm. But, you know, broader industries, you, you own a piece of industry. Yes, I am a member of the bourgeoisie. Indeed. I own the means of production. Right. Yes. Indeed. But your slogan is make the means of production, which I find much more palatable than take or own the means of production. Or seize. Seize, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was that? Marx? Marx. Yeah. You know, your, your typical communist leftist socialist is seize the means of production. Indeed. Your typical capitalist is own the means of production. You are produce the means of production. Yeah, basically because we're in this new like fourth wave industrial revolution where the cost of hardware is coming down exponentially. Like in the 90s, we had this exponential decrease in cost of software. You know, it's where we had right. AOL, Yahoo, all those, you know, companies that don't exist anymore. Mm. <laughs> I mean, Yahoo is still around. What do they do? News that makes you that, double right, click. I think that's it. Yeah, that's their big innovation. Is, Old people uh, still have Yahoo email accounts. Yeah, I still have one for all the garbage. That's my throwaway email okay. is my Yahoo. Okay. Um, I still rock it. Um, but basically now we have this um, development of hardware and hardware meaning like the motors and the actual computer chips that um, CNC machines run on specifically for, for my industry. What's a CNC machine? Uh, computer numerical control is the, is the acronym. But basically what it means is it's taking algebraic plots, X, Y, X, one inch, Y, two inches, and converting that into machine instructions that will move a laser, a plasma, a mill, a torch, a drill, uh, tapping in arm. order to cut or mold metal or into shape something. Shape. Yeah. Yep. And the idea is for a lot of this equipment, you don't need sp uh, individual tooling because the 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 arm that's doing the work is moving around the blank piece uh -huh. instead of the blank piece being forced into a dedicated die or mold. Right. So, so like it's, it's it, the parts are interchangeable in a certain. You don't sense. even have to change out parts. All right, you right, do right. is, but is write like, new software. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Your it's the evolution of the of the uh, the 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 manufacturing. Belt, uh, yeah, I guess. You have in, or the uh, even the printing press where you have interchangeable parts. You're not even working with parts anymore. Well, printing press is a great example. So printing press, you had to have a capital letter A and a lowercase letter A. You had right. to have a physical block. Right. And then if you wanted a different font for an advertisement, holy shit, you yeah. got to have two you other blocks. Have, right. So pretty soon you have a warehouse full of blocks and one printing press that mm -hmm. it serves. Now we have a server full of fonts and shapes of different letters that we just feed into the CNC machine. And yeah. basically we store it for virtually nothing and we send it for virtually nothing. And, and we don't have hard costs until we're actually cutting metal. Right. You know, right, we do right. have some labor, but you know, I mean, just marginal at, at best. So right, that's because like you're a heartless capitalist. Bingo, dude. Yeah. I'm all about, I'm a max U guy, max utility, um, all the way. Right, right. But, uh, you know, we do live in this, in this country that has uh, special classes and codes of capitalism. You know, crony capitalism gets thrown around a lot where right. basically it's a free market 
um, unless you're friends of the protected class. And then you have this secret back channel to better deals and better rates and more margins and right. lower loans. So. Well, and this is what I kind of wanted to touch on to sort of clear up any misconceptions from the last episode with Jim Bob, because we took a lot of shits on capitalism and free markets in that last episode. And I'm not an opponent of capitalism or free markets. I am an opponent of the prince of the of the of the idea that free markets and capitalism are all you need to create a functional, healthy society. Like because we 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 experimented with that back in the 19th century, and we ended up with the Gilded Age, which is where you know your Vanderbilts, your Carnegies, your uh, 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 standard oils were able to squash out all of their competition by buying up so much market share and getting government contracts and the crony capitalist model. And then the government had to turn around and go, oops, oops, we fucked up. Y'all became too big. Got to break you up. And I feel so like you're we're saying that's a bad thing. The, that all these, these magnates that you brought up, you know, Carnegie Vanderbilt, um, is bad. Not, the fact that they were able to create monopolies, create monopolies by cronyism with the government. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. Crony capitalism, I, I definitely have issue with, but, um, what, what I have a like hard what we're time going with through like, right now is Amazon and, uh, you know, the big tech companies are, have, have seen enormous profits this past year and a half because we locked the rest of society down. Yeah, I mean that's that's a. I mean, I don't I'm, I don't want to say that Amazon was calling up the White House, being like, "Hey, we need to make this COVID thing bigger than it is, so we can make some money." But yeah, let's let's not get into the conspiracy theory. But I do want to touch on the cost benefit analysis of this. So the cost is uh, is what I'm going to say is the. Uh, monopolization. You know, the, the cost is we we allowed these monopolies to to create themselves. Yeah. Um, but what did we gain? You know, and how did we gain it? And why was that good? I want to I want to bring up like uh, Andrew Carnegie is a great example. So Andrew yeah. Carnegie, um, he invented the Bessemer process of changing pig iron into steel. So the big the big thing here was he like was looking. Did he at, invent it or did he? Perfect the imp- implementation of it. Uh, well, he may not have discovered the the principle of blowing air into molten uh, pig iron to extract the carbon. Don't get me too horny. But, <laughs> I mean, you were talking about molten pig iron and blowing into it. Woo! Um, but he did uh, turn it from a laboratory process into, right. into a an industrial mass process. industrial yeah. process. And what was the benefit to all of society? Everybody in the fucking world benefited from cheap steel. We still enjoy the cheap steel that Andrew Carnegie invented back then. And the cost was... He got a monopoly for a few years until the government stepped in and said, hey, this has gone too far. And I think this is the role of government is we need to let the free markets be free until they take it too far and get too exploitive. You know, like Elon Musk, right? We have SpaceX. NASA has been trying to to create rockets and send stuff into space for how many years? 40? Something like that? 
Um, 60, 70? A long time, right? Elon Musk has been doing SpaceX for, what, five years? Yeah. And has already made rockets cheap. Satellites, I mean, relatively, right, you know, right. but like, this is something our government it's could not like, do. As, as we said on this podcast before, if you're one of those people out there thinking in like 30 years, you're going to be able to pay $10,000 and go to space. No, you're not. It's not, it's not going to yes. go down. I don't think yeah. so. I don't oh think yeah. So. This is the beauty of capitalism, folks. If you want to go to space for $10,000, support the capitalist system because capitalism drives the cost down of goods. The reason why we're able to have the free time to sit here on these awesome sure microphones with gopro cameras filming us with internet connected phones well that's a problem that are connected to i a think these, i think these are ultimately a satellite a, a, a net negative on society uh, this is a net gain for business if you want to move for business if, but again my problem with libertarian capitalism is Business is not the only metric of human value. Okay, if you're trying to create like closer e- friendships like or maintain finance. friendships with people across the world that you haven't seen for years, this is your best ally. Facebook has created basically sure. zero cost communication around the world. My mom sure. used to have to spend if you want thirty to, bucks if you want to, to talk to her sister in Utah. If you want for to cause, hour. if you want to cause suicide rates in teenage girls to spike, Facebook is also the best way to do it. Instagram is the best way to do it. Yeah, but they also get to communicate with their friends. How many people are are able to grow and improve their social interactions? Like my wife. Whoa, 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 whoa! Are you saying that Instagram and Facebook are improving the social interactions of children? Uh, I can't speak on children, but okay. I can speak for myself. So for myself, it is not improving mine. Um, I don't really use them that often. I'm but. able to connect with other metal shops. And, sure, and, sure, and not just on a business basis, but on a personal basis. We have like. We can connect on a, a different level than I can with most people because they don't deal with the same struggles and hardships that I do. I mean, like, we all have, like, human condition stuff, but I'm talking, like, metal shop specific or trying to figure out this hard forging thing or this tough welding process that I've always right. wanted to, to get better at. Like, right. I have contact now with these other people that this is a, in a business light, but we used to be next door to each other and direct competitors. If we were close enough to have metal shops and talk to each other, we were direct competition and taking work from each other. Right. Today, I can talk to another metal shop that's the same size as me, serving the same market as me, and after the same customers as me. But since we're geographically separated, there's no direct competition, and we can share information and innovate together and create more. But, but does the, I mean, at some point, does the the interconnectedness, the 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 fact that you don't have a geographical center when you're on the internet, does that not make you? direct competitors on the internet. Yeah, but a lot of them don't have internet presence or like a, a relatable retail product. So like they might be selling uh, welding carts as a guy I know. He sells uh, welding carts to other welders. I don't sell a welding cart. I sell other stuff online, uh-huh. but I don't sell welding carts. And yeah, I'm not, yeah, you yeah. know, I'm not trying to get in that business right now. But so you're not, you wouldn't be direct competitors whether you were next to each other or not. My point is that the... Well, for local you, metal work, you are because you have to chase everything that comes in your door locally. So, like, if he has like metal work, these products don't sell so much that you can just ignore other projects. Like most metal shops have like an online that are my size have an online component that helps cover your your rent and stuff. But then you have to keep taking jobs in the door, like trailer repairs and handrail and and just yeah, trashy yeah, yeah. work from local people as your margin. That's right. your profit. You know, right. so we we are direct competitors if you we were next to each other. Again, I'm I'm what I'm what I'm trying to get at is that the so 
Ben Shapiro made an interesting analogy or metaphor today. He described free markets as that which separates the wheat from the chaff, the wheat being the productive stuff that you do with your time during the day and the chaff being the unproductive stuff that you do with your time during the day. So, for example, I can make, I can trade on the free market the wheat, um, you know, video productions that I've done, the music that I produced, uh, the conversations we're having. I can't trade the time that I spend jerking off in bed. For money. Except. Unless you monetize it on OnlyFans. Except that I can. Yeah. And that's, that points to the, an issue that I have with where, where we've gone today is that the neoliberal free market sort of lifestyle mode that a lot of Americans have adopted is putting every aspect of your life on the market so that you don't have, you know, the time that you spend with your friends, the time that you spend with your family, and then the time that you spend producing goods and services to sell to other people. The time that you spend with your friends is increasingly monetized by recording it and putting it on Instagram so you get followers. The time you spend with your family, same thing. The, the, but I don't monetize followers. I, I don't know how many people are monetizing followers. Like, a lot of kids are. I mean, TikTok, that's, that's what... TikTok has made millionaires out of kids that jump around on sofas and drink too much. But, like, that's that's a small, small, small percentage of the participants on TikTok. Like, I have right. 37,000 subscribers it's on a small, the, Instagram and make zero money off of them. Right, but they're still doing it. That's the thing. Yeah, is but, like... Is there, they've, they've, they're, they're commodifying their time. But is this to meet needs or wants? That's, like, that's a core question. So, like... If, I think it's to meet... I think it's to... I think it's the expression of a of, of a psychological disorder that's being caused by too much information. But if we're talking about having to monetize every part of our life, that 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 would be if we didn't have a choice and we needed to monetize every part of our life because our income level was so low. And I would argue that the basic existence level of income in the United States is a, like below the poverty line here is above the poverty line in other parts of the world, in most Absolutely. parts of the world. So it's really our lens, our perspective that we need more, the internal consumption engine is what I call it. Yes, you yes, know, yes. Is like this internal driver of feeling dissatisfied and um, this competitiveness that's inside of us, this uh, desire for status, yeah. for clout. Um, and status is not just being better than someone. Status is, this is a key part of status. Status is someone is worse than you is the definition of status. If right. you are seeking status, it's not that you want to elevate over your old self, is you want to elevate over someone else's self. Right, right, right. And there's something that is being, uh, that they're playing on these, these drivers, these psychological motivations to keep us on the platform. But we also have the free will and the liberty to opt out. You do to not be a part. I mean, you people. I mean, it's this is where again. I there's so it's, there's it's a not bigger, a trap. It's not a, a it's not issue. a secret cabal. It's not a prison we're in. This is a thing that you found so useful and enjoyable. You decide to carry it around with you and keep it charged all day. Yeah. You know, like um, I don't know about you, but I used to get lost before I had a phone. Mm. You know. No, I'm very good with directions. I don't get lost anymore. 
I have it. I have. I call it sweet baby Jeepus. I got well, I mean, little I, baby Jeepus in my I pocket. Mean, I was, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. I I have before I had a, a smartphone, which I got very recently, like four or five years ago. The I would look up on the internet or before the internet on a map where I was going, write down the directions and go there and get there without a problem. Yeah, I had an atlas. Now, yeah, an atlas. What, yeah. Rand McNally. Good old yeah. Rand McNally. Ra- road atlas. The kids won't know what that is. That's for goddamn sure. Um, but it's, so in a sense, it's something we don't need. It's something that's convenient. It's a convenience. And but I what I'm, what it I'm, what adds I'm, to what, our life. What, it does, it, it so doesn't many, really. I have so many pictures of my kids on here that I wouldn't have otherwise. Guess like, who else has those pictures? The government, the NSA. Apple, or, well, you use a, a droid, don't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm an Android. Yeah. But I don't, I don't care. Like, uh, these are memories that I have stored that would otherwise not be stored and available to me. Like, um, my parents uh, had to move and declare bankruptcy and all this stuff, and they lost a lot of our family pictures. You know what I mean? But I have these backed up on a cloud server that is uh, super cheap because of why? Capitalism. That's why yeah. cloud well, server no, in Norway so, is like, super affordable for I me feel, to back I feel up like my we're, stuff I feel on. like we're talking past each other in one sense, and I think you hit on the way that we're not talking past each other, which is consumerism. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm, again, I'm a capitalist. But you're still saying I believe this, is, in this is a net detractor. These phones are net, a I'm net saying, loss. I'm saying that most of the stuff that we consume on them is psychologically damaging and if at, at worst, psychologically damaging, at best, wasting your time. So if, but if, that's the way you use your phone. No, not that's necessarily. That's not the way I use my no, not phone. Necessi- no, like so, I mean sometimes, but not usually. Well, that, that's that's what I'm saying. Is you're saying it's a problem, but it's not a problem for you. It's not a problem for me. So who is this a problem for? Teenage girls? Yes. So, well, I mean, they they're killing themselves at rates that have never been seen before. But how high is that rate? Well, it's, is I, it just the United States, or is it like all over the world? No, I believe it's all over the developed world. I'm not going to look up that statistic now. Okay, but. well, I'm, I mean, you're getting into it, and I don't know enough about it to to engage on that. But I, I still, like, I'm hammering down on this phone as a net gain to my life. I, sure. I don't think it's a, it's a net negative. I think it's... And you're a responsible person that has figured out a way to use the phone responsibly and in a way that... I mean, I still watch porn on it. I mean, I'm not you. always responsible. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's like I have my incognito tabs, dog. Right, you right, know, I'm right. I'm not like purely uh, utility on there, but sure. But like, okay, internet porn—that's amazing. Like, without freedom, liberty, and capitalism, would we have internet porn? Would you be able to jerk off to weird feet stuff at, well, at a moment's is, notice? And this is where you get into the territory of look. You have to have some other philosophical foundation for your society than everybody. Get out there and exchange freely, and that's it. That's your principle. That's your guiding principle. Well, it's you have to have other principles, morals, uh, aesthetics, like standards, like norms. We can totally agree on this. I mean, because uh, we have a God-based framework. I mean, Jefferson, bless his heart, as much as he tried, he could not get God out of the Constitution. Right. Um, because uh, this is going to blow a lot of people's minds, but Jefferson was not a traditional Christian. Um, he would probably even call himself an agnostic, possibly an atheist. Like right. Jefferson, they called themselves deists back in the day. Okay, a but. deist. He did not want a deity 
in the Constitution, you know, but the rest of the founding fathers did. And, you know, then we get into like the Protestant morals, which, you know, economists, the Protestant work ethic, Protestant work ethic, which has totally been debunked and, and blown apart as, as a dude. The has Pro- it? Yes. Uh, you need to read Deidre McCloskey's, uh, it might be a tetralogy now. Anyways, uh, bourgeoisie dignity is my favorite book out of that set. But, um, basically her whole, uh, push, she's actually trans, super woke, used to be a he, now she's okay. a she, um, university professor at, uh, what, a University of Chicago, yeah. um, where in like the business school, they actually created the, the packaging of subprime mortgages while she was there at the university before the crash. Oh, great. You know, well, they um, also created neoliberalism. So. Yeah. But anyway, so that was in the business school. She was in like the econ sociology side. Um, but basically her big push, and I a hundred percent believe this is that basically the episteme, it's the, the cultural norms and the storyline that we tell ourselves and the things that are like, um, inherent in society. Like you don't, the you don't paradigm, walk naked. The, yeah. The paradigm that we live in on yeah. a sort of at a, at a cultural level. So she, her argument and she, she goes hard on it in, in several different decades is basically when the attitude shifts about entrepreneurship, about um, being uh, someone that engages in arbitrage, meaning you buy something cheap and you sell it uh, for a higher price somewhere yeah. in another market that isn't used to it. You know, the Silk Road was a big thing. They bring silk from China into right, Europe right, right. and all of a sudden it's worth, you know, 10 times its original value. Yeah. But those people used to be seen as charlatans, as scum, as tricksters. Scientists used to be reduced to magicians and witches. Like all the things that we well, like, we we support and promote today haven't always been this this way. So like in, uh, what is it? In Denmark, I want to say in 1800, uh, in 1800 in Denmark. You can move it. You don't have to, oh. you don't have to Sorry, I'm, I'm get on your here. knees for I'm, the microphone. I'm getting away from the microphone. I will get on my knees if it gets good sound. <laughs> um, but basically um, this culture changed its view of um, entrepreneurs and started s- telling hero stories about them. Same thing happened in China um, when they um, privatized some of their farmland. Uh-huh. Um, and then they ended up taking it back and realizing that was a bad idea. Their, you know, their production went down per acre a lot. And then they gave it back to those people and had private property rights again. In India, the same thing happened. Uh, pre-1970, Bollywood was producing all these movies where the government and police were the heroes. And uh, the economy just stuttered and didn't take off. As soon as they st- started changing the scripts in the movies in the 80s and 90s, they started making businessmen the heroes of these stories. And uh-huh. what do we see? India's economy taking off and catching up with the West. Interesting. So it's it's her argument. So the what you're, it's kind of a not politics, but economics is downstream. It's from culture. sociology. Yeah, is really the driver of this huge economic change. And her proof is almost like. You can't argue with it. Uh, she's inflation adjusted the average uh, uh, amount of consumption per person throughout the course of history. And she's, you know, uh, adjusted it for inflation. So until 1800, the entire world lived on average $3 a day of consumption. And in the United States today, we live somewhere on 120 to $140 a day worth of consumption. Wow. And in other European nations, they're like north of 150, 160 a day of consumption. Yeah. And every place in history and geographical location that has changed the storyline and started to promote 
um, basically entrepreneurs and innovation is really what, what you have to promote. You have to, because it's not just science. It's not just the discovery. Like NASA is the proof that like science itself is not that productive. Science in and of itself. No, it's not. Is, is almost useless. Like, you know, we got Velcro out of NASA and freeze dried ice cream. Right. You know, but like. <laughs> We didn't really start getting a huge net gain until capitalism got involved in space travel. Sure. Until Elon Musk did. Now it's cheap. We can send satellites up whenever we want. We can send people up whenever we want. We can have tourists up there. Like, Well, not yet. Let's well, not speak too soon. William Shatner, I'd say, was a tourist. That guy was not helping any well, sort of right, space exploration right, right. or research. Right, right, That dude right. was just there as a symbol. Okay, we've had, one, we've had three tourists. And the Virgin guy, yeah. uh, R- Branson. Richard Branson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff was, Bezos see what and I'm William saying? Shatner. We have space tourists. Well, we've also, yes. Did NASA have space tourists? We had a school teacher that got blown up, And what up, is dog. that doing for, for, for people? Well, what is that doing for the for the rest of society? Elon Musk is trying to promote the colonization of Mars to make a backup planet for for the world because he thinks global warming is going to take us out. Right, so that's, I do too. That's his and his big promise is he's in this promotion there's a, cycle there's a right big, now. There's a big there's a big constituent on the left, like actual leftists, not woke blue haired people that scream on Twitter, but like actual principled economic leftists. Yeah. that are saying, hey, look, why are we why are we so interested in terraforming Mars and so uninterested in changing the way that we consume and produce here on Earth so that we can sustain this planet. Because no, no one wants to live on Mars. Well, you may, you may think, like, as a kid, great idea. It's so fun. No, I don't no, want to no, live no, on no, Mars. No, 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 no. My biology is not built yeah, for Mars. That. I'm not going to Mars. I'm not going to fucking Mars. And the... Basically, you have to make... Global warming, a problem for business. If you make global warming an innovation problem instead of just a science problem, right. then the private market is going to jump in and fix it. And you know what, guys? It might not be less warming. It might be better air conditioners. Right. Like, it may not look like you want it to look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and that's what you have to but accept. I mean, but one, how do one we of the find? Big, yeah, one of the big things is going to be a new a alternative form of uh, producing electricity. For some reason, nuclear power is still uh, taboo. I, and dude, that's sad. It's retarded. Which and but, they're they're trying to work on cleaner or uh, nuclear power plants that don't melt down anymore. It's yeah. it's a new style of yeah. of nuke. And people, but the pro, the thing is like when you when you talk about so for example the Tesla, which is I, I use that because you mentioned Elon Musk. It's this electric car, and people say, ah, yes, we've got the electric car. If I get an electric car, I'm reducing my carbon footprint because I'm not blowing carbon out of my tailpipe when I drive down the road. Guess what? You're consuming electricity. You know how, you know how we produce electricity? By releasing carbon into the atmosphere. Yeah, you know how we, You're not doing anything. we store electricity? Heavy metals and acid. Correct. Yeah. You're not doing anything. You just, you just moved the energy density yes. to somewhere yes. else. And, you know? and so what I'm... I guess what I was thinking about this earlier today, I was like, if you know, you, you keep bringing up innovation, I mean, genuine innovation, how genuine innovation solved? that help that solves problems, then that is done on the free market. That's a fucking amazing. That's great. The innovation that is simply used to invent new products that we don't need in order for uh, pro- companies to uh, continue their embedded growth. But they That's also help because what they do, like, no, what the, I was thinking about this example today. In the 90s, toothbrush companies realized, hey, if we stick bristles with blue dye in the middle of the toothbrush, it'll tell people 
It'll give people a visual symbol that tells them they need to buy a new toothbrush and they'll buy, everybody will buy, say, three more toothbrushes every year. Yeah. And that'll increase our profit margins. And they did that. And then they said, well, we, we got to keep go, We got to keep growing. We'll, we'll tell them to brush their fucking tongues. And now your toothbrush has a little rubber version of a cat's tongue on the back of it that's designed to brush your tongue. And it's like, what, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? None of this is helpful. I don't actually see a problem with any of that because what you're doing is if you're growing uh, your toothbrush empire, you're also growing the number of jobs that you create. And if you can increase you're your also, margin... You're also producing more waste in the production of plastics. You're producing more waste in the plastics that are getting dumped into the landfills and shit. But, like, are landfills really a problem? I mean, they're going to be I, at some point. I have no problem with landfills. Like, I understand the science of landfills, and, and I think they're an great invention. And... Like, not really a problem. Well, they're not really an invention. We've been dumping shit on the earth for thousands of years. Well, no, but it's they're, uh, they're lined, and there's, like, sediment layers that's built up to make sure that yeah, like, yeah, yeah, nothing yeah. seeps into the environment. Like, that's an invention. The yeah. landfill is an well, innovation, okay. my friend. Like, and, but what I'm saying is, there, and you said it makes more jobs. Well, be, because basically— I, well, Right now, it's is, not making more jobs. Jo- like, every, company, every corporation is attempting to streamline, pay people less, pay— Less people, yes, to do the work. So if we lack innovation, if we lack the new uh, tongue scrubber, those people that get laid off because of this optimization, if no one invents a new tongue scrubber or a roof of the mouth scrubber, where do those people go to work next? And how do we earn money? How do you live? Like people, people talk about we need to get out of the system, but no one has come up with a viable option. It's like the defund yeah, the police movement one. in I Portland. They're one. like, let's make the Chaz and get rid of the police. And then there was like murders in the first week, and they're like, crap, we kind of like the police. Like, right. who are you going to call now? Now we have some SoundCloud rapper with a gun who's enforcing his own form of law on society. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying is capitalism, it's not perfect. But it's the best fucking again, thing we have. No, no, no. Again, like, I'm not saying capitalism. I'm saying consumerism. Consumerism. And I'm saying the 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 whole Madison Avenue marketing, like psychological manipulation that was started in the 20th century that we've been living under ever since. It's it's not it, it's not sustainable. Well, I don't see how it's sustainable. It is sustainable, and and it's because of innovation. Like we will we will keep it sustainable. Like we will make a new kind of landfill. We'll make a new way of generating power. We'll make a more efficient internal combustion engine. Like that is like the optimists have won for the last 200 years. The uh, pessimists well, have the, not. That's the thing is I'm, I was an optimist at the beginning of the, the COVID pandemic when I thought, Hey, look, China just released a, a virus onto the world. They lied about it. All of our medical equipment is produced over there. Hey, let's pull the supply chains back to America where we can build, we can innovate, build, you know, factories that aren't as polluting as they are over there where everyone has to wear a mask year around because it's the air you can't breathe. And, you know, we'll get, give jobs to Americans. We'll produce better products. Maybe they'll cost a little more. Who knows? But none of that happened. See, bingo. None of that fucking happened. Maybe they'll cost a little more. That's the problem. You've seen people dealing with 5% inflation. Imagine the 25% inflation we'd experience if we tried to on- reshore all of the jobs that we have here. And, well, that's and not yes, necessarily inflation. Domestic production has, has restarted because four new steel mills have come online this year because of the importation problem. 
and okay, the good. price issue. So like there is production happening and like the chip shortage, the U.S. government hasn't said we're going to produce chips here, but they have created mm. they've created a board that's going to look into the viability of producing chi- chips in America. That's the difference between government. Well, I was government no, I was told a, that the, that we're we're moving our our chip production back over. No, here. they have a board to look at it. They're not actually physically doing anything. Oh, That's okay. the government. Okay. Is the government's going to look at it and create a report for private industry to innovate with? That's what they're. That's what the government is okay. offering to do. That's the current uh, Brandon administration. Well, that's Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> Just to touch on that. Hey. I mean, I I don't have really a, a, a dog in that race. I don't want to get into you know too much. I don't politics. either. I feel like I feel like we're as a collect as a country we're collectively no go, one's no one's it's, that it's impressed. Elder abuse. We're we're collectively participating in elder abuse right now. <laughs> Just keeping that guy propped up and moving. Yeah. Um, but consumerism, like I don't, I don't I don't have a huge problem with with consumerism either because these are people well, for, that for haven't example. they haven't generated their own meaning in their life. They're finding meaning. Through the, through this through material uh, goods through this material goods and if that's but they're what, not no, no I mean there's no meaning to be had there right. but let them take that vacuous trip if they want to I'm, like oh, it's yes, not yes, our I, job I, I, to give people meaning in no, their no, no, life no 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 it's not well it, as an artist it sort of is so but if we but, take away their consumerism what what meaning are we replacing it with we're gonna have a bunch of depressed distraught aimless people that have no purpose no meaning in their life like. Uh, here's here's, well, here's I mean, there's, there's something to be said for having to like one one of the a recent guests I had on is a psychologist, and his philosophy is you do not give people drugs, you do not you you give people the counseling they need to be able to live through the emotional pain that they're, that they're experiencing and grow from it and come 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 out better on the other side of it. And if you have a bunch of disaffected people that are have you're you're essentially saying that there's this huge swath of the country that has meaningless lives and right now they're being propped up on material good like cheap material goods and uh pharmaceuticals yeah and have been since the 40s uh since the since the 70s it really kicked off when china when one of the things the the predis the uh the sorry the the successor to chairman mao decided was that when they when Nixon's opening up China he told his cabinet or what the fuck ever they call it over there we are going to avenge the opium wars that the west foisted upon us back in the 1800s by flooding their markets with cheap consumer goods now well i mean they have succeeded in doing that i it's also I mean, you're you're kind of generalizing the whole Chinese political strategy because they have a hundred year plan to overtake the United States, and it's not right. uh, based on their anger of the opium wars. You I mean, know, some of it is. That's that's one of the animosities they have towards the West. Pre 1600, China was the big dog in the world. I mean, like in the year 1599, no one ever would have seen that in 200 years that Europe was going to be smacking all over the Chinese because they had the technological the innovation. Arabs, the Arabs were doing pretty well too. But China slapped on everybody. They had more resources, more wealth. They had the fastest ships. 
their, their uh, Chinese junk was like way more technologically advanced than the entire British Royal Navy. Not until we got steel hulls in ships did the Europe and the West start to overcome, uh, you know, the Chinese dominance of the oceans and of trade. So, like, really, the Chinese idea was they realized that they had, they were really good at creating grain. They had all this land and all these people, um, but they had a really low-valued currency. So their first step um, on their path was they were going to export as much grain as they could and import foreign currency that was worth more money. And they were going to bully up their currency because they was really going to be revalued on all of the currency they were importing. Okay, we're getting way exports. into the, the so, weeds here. <laughs> Sorry, you wanted you just you're getting into China and making it about opium war, and it's it's this hundred year plan that they've like they're fifty years in, and they've been trying to overtake the West for a long time. Like, yeah, yeah. So and and I mean, one of the ways they're doing that is flooding our markets with cheap consumer goods. But we are demanding them. They're not pushing them. You We're, say flooding and it, it makes me feel like they're pushing them on well, us. No, this is the thing We're that like this pulling. is the thing that No, this is the thing that libertarians always like to do too is they say like, well people just want stuff. People just want everything. There are marketing agencies that are multi-million well until very recently, multi-million dollar industries that are designed to make you want certain things. Yeah, that's, that's that you do advertising need, and marketing. That you do not need. That's the consumption. Now, again, I'm not against marketing your goods and services, but if that's the if the point if the only reason people want your goods and services is is because they're the marketing is good, that's that's again, I feel like that's unsustainable. Well, because you don't stay alive if just your marketing is good. The product has to be good too. It has to be a good value and a good enough quality to justify the cost. Like you're saying, you don't want more than the hundred listeners you have on your podcast because you'd have to market to get them, and they'd be false listeners. No, that wouldn't really. No, want I'm not to saying that at all. The only reason they'd stick around is if you had a good product. Right. You might gain trial by marketing and advertising, but you're not going to gain loyal repeat customers and a solid. A sustainable business that you can run for generations off of marketing and fluff. You have to have real product and real innovation to deliver on. I mean, like I've Swiffer been to, is doing pretty well. I've been to China and I've been in these factories. Well, McDonald's is doing pretty well. Yeah, but they have a great product at a great price. They have a product that is available Much on like, demand whenever you want it. It's safe to eat. You don't get sick ever by eating McDonald's. It's safe McDonald's. to eat. We just had, we, not only do we have an obesity epidemic in America, but we have a pandemic, a global pandemic that was able to kill far more people in America than it normally would have because they're obese and diabetic. Why are they obese and diabetic? Because they eat shit like McDonald's or Taco Bell or whatever, like things that you're supposed to enjoy once once a month. And that's McDonald's fault? It's 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 they, it's, it's it's a collective fault. They supply it's cheap, a collective like, fault. They supply I'm that cheap a, nutrition. We have an overnutrition problem in the United States, not an undernutrition yes, problem. Yes, we have an overnutrition because problem. Because we have too much food at too cheap of prices and too many choices. Absolutely. And that is what capitalism gave us, is too many choices. We used right. to have to go... Like, like, do you, you're, right. you're, you're, you're making my point for me. In fall, in and the no, 1600s... That's not, that's not what capitalism brought us. That's to, what the, consumer, the consumerist uh, model brought us. Capitalism is the ability to exchange freely with goods and services with other people. And I'm 100% a proponent privately, of that. privately. 
Owned privately. And owned privately, yes. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the key without point. The, I'm all for people being able to do that, exchange goods and services without the strong arm of the government getting in the way. But for those goods to be good, for those services to be legitimate, of, of legitimate service to other people, you have to have a philosophical foundation that is not just, let me make shit so that I can trade it. It has you, to be, you, let you, me make shit because... This is what I'm good at, or this is a craft that I perfected, or you're this reducing is a- the, the producers to shit, like that they're no, I'm not, like that they're producing shit because they just want to throw shit on the market, like well, I mean, Ma- the- well, McDonald's is producing shit, um, but the market is voting with its dollars what they want to eat. The market is voting, like you, you have sure. to work for these these credit chips, these representative fiat currency papers. You know, you have to actually go exchange your own private time to get. You know, ten of those, and then you You're have talking ten about dollars. Dollars, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> I'm getting right, too, right. too crazy here. But you go and work. No, no, no. It's a good point for a certain period of time for ten dollars. Right. And then you're walking around at dinner time, and you're deciding where you're going to spend this ten dollars. Are you going to go to the grocery store and spend three dollars and twelve cents to buy a wholesome, nutritious? set of ingredients you can take home and give an hour of your own labor to generate into a processed meal that's ready for you to consume and high quality? Or are you in a rush in between work and the baseball practice that you want to go to because you like playing baseball and you own a baseball, a mitt, a truck, a bat, have a whole team of other people that have baseball mitts, trucks, and bats, and this uh, uh, pre-arranged time at a field with lights on? All this great, great stuff that you have in your consumer economy, and you might just want to go and order off the dollar menu and get a double cheeseburger and a cup of water. And that is super cheap, tons of calories, every macronutrient that the body requires, protein, if you're carbohydrates. Doing that, if you're doing that, I'll, I'll even give you once a week. If that's what you're doing once a week, I don't see any problem with that. My problem is that the person who chooses the fam- to feed their family McDonald's multiple times a week because they can't be bothered to sit down and cook a meal that would be much more fulfilling to them. Well, you're saying would bring because they were meaning, into buying McDonald's instead of doing the cooking. You're, there, you're there, like, there is an element like of trickery. Your to argument it. says that that they were fooled into going to McDonald's five nights a week. Have you have you looked into the his- marketing? Have you looked into the history of the marketing of PR? Oh, dude, I understand. It was developed by psychologists. Dude, I do it for a living. I bring people to my website. It is literally trickery. We use logical fallacies all the time, knowingly. Like, I use renders instead of pictures. Right. That, you know, look better than real life. Right. Because that's that's what competition dictates. Right. And when I, you know, anyways, I won't get into that. But when you're, well, you're selling metal tchotchke shit. I'm right. selling your own name. I'm selling your your ego to yourself. I'm selling people's names in metal. If you want to buy your own name in metal, go to makertable.com. I will do that for you. But Please it is not that. it is not a utility. It is not serving anyone. We're literally helping rich people decorate their vacation homes. Right. That's my business. My business is novelty. My business is consumerism. My business is consumption. I rely on people wanting to decorate and be extra. That is my entire livelihood. And there's 18 people that work 40 plus hours a week with health insurance that all, all well, you, live their lives you, and pay their bills and feed their kids McDonald's sometimes because of this desire. So that's what I'm saying is I think 
this cons- consumption system is good or ac- actually it's not even good or bad in itself. It depends on the actors. It, that, it depends that's on the exactly people. what I'm saying. So like the we, actors are what make it a good or bad system. And when you have actors that are, I mean, I, the past year and a half has been a very good example of how bad actors in the private sector whose only goal is to make money have not only divided the nation about a fucking, like, Im- like not even a live or dead virus, but they've also done it just to make billions of dollars in profits. I'm talking about Pfizer, obviously. Yeah, but, it's- like, did, did the government create that vaccine on their own? No, because they don't have the innovation or creativity or resources to do it. No, 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 but they did. The private industry. They did promise Pfizer, hey, yeah, we'll buy all this. Exactly. So the private industry, the the consumer industry. I I, I don't think you can call that the consumer industry The consumption engine. Pfizer is not a a consumption company that markets its products with with logical fallacies like we've been talking about. Right. Pfizer does all these things. And, and, they take advantage yes, of and situations, and, and you and you have a they perform uh, you arbitrage. Have, you have a bunch of people that are addicted to psychological drugs that they shouldn't. M- many of them shouldn't have taken them in the first place. Many of them should only have taken them for a very brief period of time. But they they're told by a pharmaceutical company or no, a doctor, a doctor, a doctor that is in that is service trusted, to the to the pharmaceutical no, companies. No, doctors don't get into medicine to be in service to the pharmaceutical many companies. Many of them do. And no, I'm not saying they do, but many of them are. I don't know. I know They make money I know based five on five doctors personally and none of them have this motive to right, maximize again, profit off of prescriptions. You're a responsible person. You don't make friends with grifters and hucksters. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the, these people are out there, but like, I don't want to reduce the the whole principle to the worst actors. I'm like, not. There's I'm, so yeah, many. I'm not doing that. There's I'm, so many people that do great things. That, I'm like, trying. I'm trying to say there's a middle. There's there's a compromise between libertarian free, like just like. Godless libertarian capitalism, and you know your most your most uh, good intentioned government uh, controlled socialism, and it's somewhere around a us the 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 actors in the system having philosophical principles that are not guided by materialism or ideology. It's they're guided by moral strength, um, an intellect, a heart. Well, I, I think they're, this they're is- motivated by things like love and suffering and joy. These things, all these immaterial things that neither of these um, the two poles or anyone really in the in the public sphere right now is talking about these these are things that are extremely important to human beings and over the past I mean I would say since the 50s we they've just sort of seeped out of the public conversation well this this goes back to our uh, conversation about Jefferson and God and government like I think we've lost God in the American, uh, episteme, like it's yeah, no absolutely. longer the majority of people are this Judeo-Christian faith, and now we are reconciling our culture 
I think with even, the lack think, of, a, of, a, of a true north. We used to have this, right, this right. strong magnet that pulled everyone to God, that there was this, you know, this uh, all-powerful being that everyone knew had these certain expectations of us as humans. You know, and there's talk of God-given rights or natural rights. Right. So I think we need to go back to what are the natural rights? Well, and what, I think I think what, what, are, what, what is the guiding good again? What if you look at the the first people that laid out what capitalism, like Adam Smith, um, what's his name, John Locke, to a certain extent, the the Enlightenment thinkers <clears throat> that were setting up the the ideological framework for free market capitalism, they recognized that God. And a sense of moral, more, a sense of morality, and a sense of right and wrong, are indispensable to the functioning of capitalism. And they they warned they warned us that if you if you fall into a godless state, it could go it could go south real quick. So maybe like really, what I hear you saying now is, um, capitalism, consumerism, uh, or just consumerism. Isn't our shouldn't be our, our next god, right? And I can agree with you there. Yeah, like yeah, we yeah. can find common ground in that. Like I think I don't think consumerism is inherently bad. Um, I think it's it's inherently good because I think it creates an expanding pie. So like well, you said earlier it's neither good nor bad, and I I agree with you. Like, like, I agree I, with you there. But now that I think of the expanding <laughs> pie theory, like you know having the the, the tongue scrubber creates more jobs. You know, having this innovation- Not creates, necessarily, no. It, no, 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 yes, necessarily. Not necessarily. Yes. You just, you have to, economically, I can I can stand behind this. Okay, well- Innovation- When the robots are sitting, like flying tongue scrubbing toothbrushes to my house that were, the, the materials of which were mined by robots and the thing produced by robots in a factory- I'm going to, you know, there's only a few roboticists. There's, there's a Stanford econ professor that wrote this book about um, population explosion. This population that this, the world was going to be out of resources, basically, because we were just going to, so many people were being born at such a velocity that we just couldn't keep up. And the planet was just going to I like to think of up. people being born at velocity. Oh, they, I mean, there's shooting out. just a huge gusher of humans just coming out of this pipeline of vagina. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's what it would sound like. You think, yeah, it must be a loose one by that point. So you have velocity of, of childbirth. Great mother, don't call the great mother loose. <laughs> don't call her loose. You're making me uh, lose my whole train of thought here. So we we're at, well, uh, we're, we're, we're at an hour and a half now, so we're going to wrap it up. Okay. Because I don't want to, I don't want to get any infections from you. Um, <laughs> the Rona hasn't passed between us now. It's, it's too late. It ain't happening. No, no, no. Um, no, I, I enjoyed this. I enjoy discussing this, especially after last week where I, we kind of, we had a very interesting conversation that really, really set me on a new episteme, if you will, mm, which she, she, stole, she, she borrowed that from Foucault. Have oh, you read yeah. any Foucault? Yeah, that's where I got it from. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the Panopticon. Right. Yeah. Oh right. yeah. The, and the whole idea that, you know, so, his his whole conception of the Enlightenment and the modern period is that we live in a very radically different episteme than the pre-Enlightenment people, and that he was interested in critiquing it uh, and checking for cracks. 
I, it's checking like, for checking for problems. The real power is culture. If you can shift culture, if you can change the episteme, how people describe themselves to themselves, that is where real power lies and where real change is going to lie. And it, before Absolutely. we before we close, yeah. I just want to note this is how conversations of disagreement are supposed to happen, folks. Right. Like, uh, please, I, there's got to be. Please share this podcast. If you think that people should have conversations like this instead of like they do on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, thank you. This is where it's at, folks. Is this is real uh, human discourse between two Americans that have differing points of view. Damn straight. And no one was shot in the making of this podcast. <laughs> We're going to leave it with that. <laughs> Get, get over to Facebook, like us on Facebook, get over to Instagram, follow us on Instagram, and then delete your social media. All you need is the Unless Patreon. you like it. All you need you is the Patreon, it. and Adam has his own opinion. All you need is the Patreon because that's where I siphon money off of all of you. Patreon.com slash radio. Give us $3 a month. It's not much. It's cheaper than McDonald's. And it's better quality ingredients. See y'all next time.